Nazareth, the Lord and Savior, our Messiah, the Son of God, was dead and is now alive. Now, I don't want to talk to a room full of Presbyterians at the moment. Usually that's the, hmm. I think even in Presbyterians, there's an inner Pentecostal waiting to get out. So those of you with a Pentecostal background, I know you've got many in the room. I just said that Jesus was dead, but is now alive. I'm going to need some help this morning, so give me some help. You, are, you have permission to let your Pentecostal flag fly. Now, if tambourines come out, we'll have, I'll pause for a moment. That's okay. I want you to know that Jesus has no tolerance for death. No tolerance for death. And He has great death detectors. He can smell it coming a mile away. And the reason why Jesus has no tolerance for death is because without apology... Jesus considers death to be an enemy. And sometimes when we talk about Jesus, we get this picture of Jesus as, well, Jesus, he just walks around, he loves everybody, he gives out free hugs, he kisses babies, and, you know, those sorts of things. And I just want you to know, at least when it comes to death, he doesn't want to give it a hug, he wants to punch death in the throat. And you need to know that about our Jesus. He does not have warm fuzzies about death. It is Jesus' nemesis. And according to our gospel, its days are numbered. Now that's Pentecostal right there. (laughs) Jesus thinks death is ugly, and he is not afraid to say that to death's face. And the reason why I say this, because sometimes we can cast death as some benevolent friend that we in the end embrace to usher us into the next life. We kind of say things like, oh, sweet death, take me away. Or you hear people talk about making peace with death and embracing it as an inevitable reality of life, and so we just kind of resign ourselves to its effect and consequence. But I want you to know that, no, that's not how I'm going out. I am not hugging death as my benevolent guide. When I go out, I'm going out kicking and screaming and running away from death as long as I can. If I can throat punch death, even if the Grim Reaper gets me in the end, I'm at least tearing that gnarly cloak that he wears as a symbol of my struggle. I want in the end every doctor or nurse or family member who watched that whole thing go down and that monitor finally flatlines, I want them to say, well, that was dramatic. (laughs) And I went at my funeral for people to say, when death showed up, I have to hand it to Sam. He made quite the scene. Jesus hates death. And I'm going to follow his lead. When you watch Jesus encounter death, watch what he always does. When his good friend Lazarus dies, what does Jesus do? He speaks into the tomb and he says to Lazarus, it's time to wake up. And when he speaks that, do you know what Lazarus does? He wakes up. When Jesus encounters Jairus' daughter who is dead, and I don't mean like metaphorically dead, I mean she's dead dead. And when Jesus shows up, do you know what Jesus does? He says to her, it is time to wake up. And she does. And he hands her back to her family. Or when he's walking uh, in the area of Nain and he sees a funeral procession and in it is a widow who just lost her only son, which means for this widow, she's lost her entire world. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And when he encounters death, you know what he does? He says to the boy who's dead in that funeral procession, it's time to wake up. And he does. And he hands him back to his mother. When Jesus encounters death, He always rebukes it. 
I mean, not even just in its final manifestation. You know, like when your heart stops and the lungs no longer take in air and your, functions, your, your organs stop functioning and your brain stops firing synapses. I'm talking about even the spirit of death. Jesus hates it. And far more of us are affected by it than we might care to admit. I'll tell you, the spirit of death that sometimes hovers over us has as its aim to kill, to steal, to destroy. The spirit of death murders dreams and hopes and aspirations and future orientations and plans and even life itself. And sometimes that spirit of death gravitates towards an area of our life. And when it does, it wreaks havoc in all other areas of our life. That's why typically when people get sick and they have some sort of disease, it doesn't just stay compartmentalized to, oh, yeah, just kind of physically I'm struggling. What happens is it affects everything else in life. It's a spirit of death that hovers, and Jesus hates it. That's why in your finances, when that spirit of death has its fingers on your finances, it doesn't just stay in your finances, does it? What happens? When you're struggling financially, what happens? When I'm fighting with my spouse, I can't sleep at night. I've got anxiety, people are calling my cell phone, and I can't answer it because it's a number I don't recognize, and I'm pretty sure it's a debt collector trying to get the money that I rightfully owe. It affects everything in life. That's what the the spirit of death affects all other areas. That's why when the spirit of death affects the life of one of your children, it impacts on everything you see and experience. You can't even scroll through Facebook without jealousy overwhelming you and maybe guilt plaguing you or just that exhausting anxiety that beats you until... All you can do is binge watch Netflix. And I I could go on, right? I mean, you know, some of you know what it feels like for that spirit of death to hover over you in your workplace. And what happens there with your boss or maybe your coworkers? For others of you, what that spirit of death feels like when it has its hand on your marriage or when it meddles with your life plans and aspirations. Jesus' whole ministry was looking into the spirit of death and not, al- and not allowing it to have the final word. Not only that heart-stopping, lung-ceasing, brain activity-ending moment, but I mean when he encounters a leper who had the spirit of death hovering over him because he was excluded from every aspect of society because of his disease, what does Jesus do? He brings back life. Or that woman who got caught in adultery and really was on the verge of being stoned to death Because everyone around her considered her impure because of the religious culture that they lived in. And what does Jesus do? He steps in and he speaks to that spirit of death and he rebukes it and brings her back life. Or remember the Gospels, that little boy that was demonized and literally tried to kill the little boy by throwing him in the fire or into water. What does Jesus do? He steps in and he rebukes the spirit of death and he brings back life. Or the blind or the paralyzed. I could go on and on. Jesus rebukes death everywhere. His ugly butt shows up so that he can restore life, so people can taste what God intended for them all along. Jesus rightfully identifies death as the enemy that it is. And that's why Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. The last, what is it? Hey, not our friend. The last enemy is, will be destroyed is what? Death. I need you to walk out of here recognizing death to be the enemy that it is. And this is important as followers of Jesus. I need you this morning to be reminded that we're not going to tolerate death as a benevolent guide to anything. I need you to remind yourself that the spirit of death has nothing good for you. What I need is for you to wake up and to come alive to think about death like Jesus thinks about death. 
because it's easy to get tired, to get exhausted. You get beaten down so far, so hopeless, so dark, so depressed, that that spirit of death can feel like a welcomed companion. Death can seem like an avenue to peace, a vehicle to relief, an answer to all of your problems. But I want you to know that is not the spirit of Jesus talking. That is the spirit of death. And when those voices start to speak to your heart and mind, when in the moment of your depression it seems like the voice of death is actually making sense, when you're about to let go of your life's dream because death has convinced you that your dream is dead, I need you to wake up this morning and recognize whose voice that is. That is not Jesus' voice. That is death's voice. And you don't belong to death. You don't belong to death. You belong to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is whose voice you're to be listening to. In fact, the Gospel of John in chapter 10 tells us that that voice, Jesus' voice, will be for us like a good shepherd. And we'll recognize his voice, and we will not get confused by another. So when death starts to speak to us, we won't recognize that voice. It will be a stranger's voice, and we'll just say when we hear it, Stranger danger! No, we listen to the good shepherd. Jesus will remind us in John 10.10, it's the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, and not just any life, abundant life, or life to the full. And I know you walked in here this morning because it's Easter, and you guys look great. Your kids are adorable. Look at those new outfits that they're wearing. And after you're done here, you're probably going to go have a great meal, and it should include ham. Praise Jesus. Maybe there's eggs to be found and all the other Easter traditions, but I need to tell you, this isn't about just annual traditions or the eggs or the nice lunch or even those delicious marshmallow peeps. Give it up for marshmallow peeps. And for those of you who do not like marshmallow peeps, that is the spirit of death that's talking and hovering over you. We rebuke it now in the name of Jesus. No, listen, this morning... This morning is our annual reminder that death is our enemy, and we're not going down like that. No, sir. I need you to see death like Jesus sees death. I need you to embrace this reality. You have been given delegated authority from Jesus to have power and authority in the spiritual realm. That what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You have been given immense power through the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And I'm going to need you to look at your life and in a powerful name of Jesus rebuke to rebuke that spirit of death wherever he might be in your life. And the reason why Jesus could give you that power and authority is because he is the only one who took on death, like literally, and conquered it. And we are here to remind ourselves that Jesus was raised from the dead. That when death thought he had the final say, it was the spirit of God that stepped in and said to Jesus' dead body, It's time to wake up. And it brought Jesus back to life again. And that same spirit lives in you. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That same spirit that resides in you is the same spirit that brought Jesus back to life. And so, listen, I know some of you walked in here this morning and your marriage has a spirit of death over it. I need you in the powerful name of the resurrected Lord Jesus 
to rebuke the spirit of death that's hovering over your marriage. Some of you walked in here and you were barely holding on to your life's dream. Uh, There's a spirit of death that's hanging over it. I need you in the powerful name of the resurrected Lord Jesus to rebuke that spirit of death and bring your dream back to life again. Some of you walked in and you have not felt joy in a long time. Depression has replaced it. And in that depression, there is a spirit of death that hovers, hovers over you. And I need you this morning to speak in the powerful name of the resurrected Lord Jesus, a rebuke to that spirit of death and call for joy to wake up. If you walked in with a sickness or a disease in your body, to rebuke it in the powerful name of the resurrected Lord Jesus and announce that life will live again. 1 John 4, 4 tells us the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. So whatever place in your life that the spirit of death is crouching in on, today is the day that we remind ourselves we have authority to rebuke it and to speak to that dying place, whether it's in our finances or in our health or in our relationships or in your life dream, it is time to wake up, to tell death it does not have the last word. Jesus has the last word. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Second Timothy 1.7 says the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Rather, it gives us power and love and self-discipline. Jesus wants you to live woke. And he wants you to stay woke. Now, here is the point in the message where it's supposed to have this dramatic turn, but this morning I was convinced I, this might be all you need. Like, this could be it. For, like, you walked in and there's an area of your life that's just like it is dying and You just need to know Jesus is alive and speak to that place. For others of you that could go with me, let me at least say this to you. Um, You you aren't alive just for you. You're not following after Jesus experiencing resurrected power just for your sake. Because Christianity has a tendency, at least in my opinion, to be one of the most self-centered of religions. At least how I've seen it manifest which is odd to me because our central symbol is a cross. And I don't know how you get a cross and self-centeredness together, but sometimes how Christians actually live out their lives, it could be a little self-centered. Let me explain what I mean by that. Like, we think our experience of coming alive is all about us. And so we say things like, I got saved, or I'm going to heaven, or Jesus forgave my sins, or I have a personal relationship with Jesus, or I prayed Jesus into my heart. And then we tell our testimony, and it's all about me, myself, and I, and what Jesus did for me. Listen, I'm not knocking personal testimonies. I hope you get what I'm saying. I'm just, if we could just go ahead and say it out loud. Sometimes Christians can be a little obnoxious, right? Can we, can we just say that? Just sometimes. We're telling people how good Jesus has been to us by making us come alive, and we don't realize at times it's like talking to somebody who's starving about how great your meal was last night. Or telling someone who's walked through issues of infertility for years how easy it is for you to get pregnant. Or telling somebody who just filed for bankruptcy that you just won the $200,000 scratch-off win, which, congratulations, and don't forget to tithe. (laughs) So some of us sound like when we talk about Jesus bringing us back to life again. Listen, Jesus did bring you back to life. But it isn't about you. Jesus' goal isn't for you to have some individualized, warm, fuzzy religious experience. He woke you up so that you can wake up others. He gave you life so that you can bring life to others. He wants you to have the same death detectors that he has and to view death like he does. 
you are now an agent of resurrection life. You have been deputized into the Kicking Death's Butt Task Force. We should get cards for that. You are a minister of bringing that same life you experienced to others, for that's the very reason why you were brought back to life to begin with. This is what Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5 or 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Listen, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you then on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are now, listen, you are now because of your resurrected life an ambassador of Jesus. And do you know what that means? It means that you represent Jesus. And what does Jesus think about death? He considers death to be an enemy. You are now a minister of reconciliation. Do you know what that means? It means that you are a servant of the good shepherd who is bringing abundant life to people who have places of death in their life. Your task is not to walk around yippee-skippy because you have experienced life. Your task is to go out and throat punch death. And the spirit of death is all around us. Those of you who teach in the classroom, listen, I mean, there are many of you, I know there are teachers. You know when you walk into your classroom, you know it. You can see over at least a handful of your students what seems to be a spirit of death that is stealing from them a future orientation and joy and life. Your job is not to walk in and go, praise Jesus, I'm saved. Your job is to rebuke that spirit of death and be an agent of life, an ambassador of Jesus to bring that which is dead back to life again. To say to that student, when you grow up, you're going to be successful. When you grow up, you're going to be something. When you grow up, you're going to have hope. To be an agent of life, to speak life to places that might be dead. The spirit of death is destroying people by stealing their will and enslaving them to all sorts of addictions and habits that literally end in death. Your task isn't to say, praise God, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Your task is to be an agent of life, an ambassador of Jesus, and rebuke that spirit of death that hovers over that addiction and to speak life. And if you need to pick them up in your car and get them here on Monday nights to celebrate recovery, that's what you do because you're an ambassador of Jesus. Being an ambassador of Jesus requires more than us walking out and going, ooh, we're saved. It requires us walking out and recognizing that we've been brought back to life so that we can extend life to others. That we can walk out and recognize death in all of its forms and what it looks like and rebuke it in the resurrected power of Jesus' name. Not just to have some emotional reaction when we see a news story that touches us. Oh, that's so terrible. That's so sad. No, listen. Beyond that, as an ambassador of Jesus, it might mean you sit down, you write a letter to your senator and demand action and change. That's what it means to speak authority over a spirit of death. There are systemic issues all around us 
There are issues in our judicial system. There are issues in our criminal justice system. There are issues in our school system. There are issues in our housing system. There are systemic injustices that lead to abuse. And I'm telling you, to a spirit of death. And the ambassador of Jesus and the agent of life speaks into each of those and rebukes the spirit of death and declares the power of resurrected life. This is what it means to bring life to a broken earth. Just about, ooh, I feel praise Jesus. No, it's when we find out that that law that was passed for voter ID actually had as its intention to discriminate against minorities that we all of a sudden detect that just leads to death. And we're not for death. We're for life. And so we rebuke it in the name of Jesus to bring back life because death only seeks to kill and steal and destroy. Listen, you have Jesus' privilege. Leverage your Jesus' privilege to bring life to others that don't. And it's all around us. Listen, how in the world can removing a guy who has spent 20 years here and has three children and sending him back to Mexico, separated from his family, be about life? There's nothing in that but the spirit of death. And it's even more embarrassing when Christians who are supposed to be representatives of the resurrected Lord Jesus somehow view that as a good thing. To which I would say, have you forgotten what Paul just said to us in verse 16? From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Yeah, but he broke the law. He's here illegally. I don't look at verse 19. What does it say? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not doing what? Counting men's sins against them. And then he says in verse 19, and then he committed to us that message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. See, we should be able to sniff death out wherever it is. We're the first ones on the scene to go, oh, no. No, no, we're, we're, we're for life. It's sort of like anyone ever seen the movie Les Mis? It's come out several times or read the book Les Mis. Just Jody, she's the only one in the room. She's the only person in the entire room. That's like, yeah, thank you, right? I mean, powerful story, is it not? Like, don't make me start singing it just to remind you how powerful it is because, I mean... I don't even remember the story, right? But uh, the good guy in the story who was just, uh, just suffering in terms of injustice, out of his own hunger, stole some bread, and went to hard labor camp for like 17 years. Uh, Jean Valjean, which is fun to say. Jean Valjean is his name. But you know who the bad guy is in the movie? Inspector Javert is his name, right? You know why Inspector Javert was the bad guy? Because all he cared about was the law. Just, everything's black and white. You broke the law, you broke the law. I right? didn't care. Like, there's no... The reason why we're for Jean Valjean is because he tasted grace and mercy and forgiveness and it transformed his life and he committed the rest of his life to extending to others grace and mercy and forgiveness. What he tasted was resurrected power, resurrection life, and he became an agent of resurrection life. That's who we're supposed to be. I need you to stay woke. I I need all of your spidey senses to come alive so that you are hyper-aware of the presence of death. Not so that it overwhelms you, but just so that you'll recognize it when it shows up. And I need you to stay woke so you will be alert and ready for action when the spirit of death reaches out his hand to kill, destroy, and steal life from your neighbor who might be a minority. And I need you to stay woke so that you'll have no hesitancy to throat punch the spirit of death when it moves against a child in poverty. And I need you to stay woke so when you see that legislation or that rule or that system of governance will bring death to hurting and innocent people, you'll move into action because you are an ambassador to Jesus. 
I need you to stay woke to the reality that demonic injustices exist and they exist to bring death. Don't go out just celebrating that Jesus is now alive. Don't even go out just celebrating that Jesus' resurrection means you've come alive. Go out committed to working as Jesus' representative to throat punch death. Somebody give me an amen. amen. This is what N.T. Wright says. When we go out and do that, every act of love and gratitude and kindness, every work of art or beauty or music inspired by the love of God and the delight in the beauty of His creation. Listen, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, or for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of His wonderful world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and the power of His Spirit. It means that what we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. And that's why, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, it's an entire chapter about the resurrection. An entire chapter. It ends with the last verse that says this, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not, ooh, I've been saved. It is because I'm saved, because God has brought me life, I will now bring life to others, and none of that work will be in vain. It will meet you in the afterlife. Stay woke, my friends. Go out and throat punch death and help others find the same resurrected life you have. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. We give you thanks, O God, that... You think about death in such a way that you would consider it to be an enemy, and because of that, we do too. And so I pray right now for those spaces in our life where the spirit of death is hovering, and it's creating in us anxiety and fear and havoc in our relationships, or maybe it's touching our finances. I, I pray right now in the powerful, resurrected name of our Lord Jesus that that spirit of death be broken. We rebuke it in his name until it has to leave to every place that has death on it. We speak words of life. And I pray that not just only for us to experience, but I pray even as we walk out of here and <laughs> just enjoy the rest of the day, but at the same time, we'll be sensitive to those places around us that are, have that spirit of death, and we'll do the same thing that Jesus did. We will rebuke it and call forth life. We do this for your glory and your honor, that your earth might be restored to what you intended from the very beginning. In Jesus' name.